Welcome to the Special Needs Kids Are People Too podcast with Amy Bodkin, EDS. Amy is an autistic adult who also happens to be a school psychologist turned special needs consultant and public speaker. She's also a homeschooling mom to two autistic kiddos, a yoga instructor, a card-carrying Trekkie, and an all-around fun person. And last but not least, Amy is an advocate for seeing every child as a person, not a diagnosis. Because a special needs kid is just like any other child, just more so. Here's Amy Bodkin. Hi, this is Amy Bodkin coming to you from the blanket fort in my office. Welcome to Special Needs Kids Are People Too. So last time I promised that I was going to continue sharing a few details from um, the time period when I got my diagnosis. And we had to have a discussion at our house about, you know, how much was okay to share because my diagnosis is very much wrapped up with my kids. And we decided just how much we were willing to share. Um, It's important to all of us to be able to share some of these kinds of details because we went through a very difficult process of the diagnosis wasn't quite as difficult, but getting the support we needed and the help we needed was very difficult. And we feel like it's very important to be able to share those things so that other families can have that kind of knowledge moving forward themselves as they're looking for those kinds of supports. So, um, Right after I got out of graduate school, I had all of these research studies on educational psychology ringing in my ears, and I was bound and determined that I was going to be the best parent, and my kids were going to develop perfectly because I was going to do everything right according to the studies. That didn't go very well. (laughs) Um... I definitely got a large serving of humble pie. Um, As soon as my uh, oldest was born, we kept the entire wing of the hospital up all night the first night she was born because she was quite awake and quite aware and wanted to let everybody else know it. (laughs) Um, We continued having sleep issues for quite some time. Um, she ended up being able to sleep through the night, which was amazing, but she could not take a nap at all. And if you've ever tried to entertain a one month old for over 12 hours in a day, when they refuse to take a nap, then you know how difficult that can be. (laughs) She loved to sit in front of bookshelves because there was so much variability in like the books and the colors and the shapes and all of that. Um, I guess even then she had a love for books. And then, uh, and she also, her motor skills, they were more advanced in some ways. Like she was holding her head up relatively well within a few days to weeks. And, Uh, she rolled over much earlier than she should have. The pediatrician did not believe me when she did. I think it was a month or two. I think that was about right. Um, So it was definitely always a lot of stuff 
like that was going on that was a little bit different. I didn't realize it that much at the time because when you're living it and that's your people, then you just don't really notice that it's not average, especially if it's your first and you're and she's like your mini me, which she was. We actually had a really good relationship. We still do, but we did especially then. She wasn't verbal at the time. Um, and she didn't understand what I was saying either. Sometimes people think that when you're not verbal, it means you don't understand. That's not always the case. Sometimes it is, but not always. In her case, she didn't understand what I was saying. And, um, but we had a very close relationship because it was kind of like I could read her mind because we were so similar in the way we learned and did things. And there was this one time she had grabbed her hoppy ball and she was going to go to the other room with it. And I saw her walk off and I knew she was going to take that hoppy ball and jump on the bed in that room and fall off the bed. And I ran in there and caught her just as she was about to jump off. Um, and the only, I just knew she was going to do that. So, and we went to, we started speech therapy when she was about two and a half because she was beginning to get super frustrated about not being able to communicate with me. And her frustration was what made me decide to call the speech therapist because I was still unwilling to take her anywhere for a diagnosis yet. I was willing to get her whatever she needed, but I didn't want a diagnosis yet because getting her diagnosed, I knew would mean rethinking my diagnosis because we were so similar in the way we did things as kids. Um, and I had to come to that moment where I was willing to do that. And when we did speech therapy, the speech therapist noticed immediately that, well, not only would I go back with her for every session and, you know, be an active participant, but she also noticed that we had a very close relationship and that when she'd get frustrated, she would come to me and lay her head on my lap. Uh, and so I think that relationship was really important. Um, one of the things she really loved as a small child was drawing. If I had kept every drawing she ever made, I would have probably a couple storage units full of drawings only right now. Uh, when she was small, if she wanted something for breakfast, she might draw me a picture of it because she couldn't remember what it was called. This was probably when she was about three-ish, three, four. She had a little bit of language by that point, but she couldn't remember the words half the time, and she didn't always have the ability to communicate what she wanted to. Um, and then... About the time she started speech therapy, my youngest was born, and he also had some delays, but it was difficult to pinpoint because it wasn't the typical, like his speech wasn't quite right, and his motor skills were delayed, and there were just certain types of problem-solving skills that didn't seem quite right. It was difficult to describe. And he didn't think like me. And so it was very difficult for me to figure out what he was thinking. And having him gave me a lot more respect for uh, special needs parents in general, especially parents who have an autistic child, because 
although both of mine have a diagnosis of autism, they process information very differently. And that difference in processing made a huge difference in how much I was able to understand um, instinctively. And so I've had to work a lot harder to understand my youngest, but I, I have worked at it and I've gotten much better at it over time, but it didn't come naturally like it did with my daughter. And we went through a lot of trial and error trying to figure out what to do about speech because he had taught himself to read by the time he turned two, maybe earlier. That was when I noticed it. And none of the traditional speech therapy stuff was working. And I ended up finding one book called, um, let's see, it was, I think it was called What to Do When Babies Read. And it was one of the few books on hyperlexia at the time. There really weren't a whole lot out there. And he eventually ended up getting an autism diagnosis, but that one took a while because he was not your typical um, classic case. But it ended up being the best fit for what he had going on with his mix of symptoms. One of the things we noticed, though, as we went along, and this this was really huge for our family, we started having a lot of immune problems. And my youngest, his immune system was functioning at about 50% by the time he was two-ish. And he had developed an egg allergy that his pediatrician wrote off and said that he didn't have an egg allergy. And I took him to an immunologist and he tested him and he did have an egg allergy. Uh, I love what that doctor told me. He said, if mom says something's wrong, we look until we find it. And I think a lot of times moms instinctively know when their kids are hurting. Because who knows their kids better than parents who are with them and love them and are, you know, always watching and trying to support their kids. So if your kid's hurting, keep looking till you figure out what it is. About the same time, my oldest was four. And she, um, I didn't know this is what it was at the time, uh, but later I figured out that it was that she had fat leaking out of her digestive tract and she also had systemic yeast and I had no idea she felt so bad. Um, you know, a lot of autistic, well, most of us do anyways, <laughs> we stim and that just is some kind of repetitive behavior. And sometimes it's a happy stim, but sometimes it's not. And in her case, she was rocking back and forth a lot, and it was not a happy stim. So I took her to the doctor. He told me, it's just autism and completely blew me off. Um, the only thing I knew that might have any effect on diet, because I knew very little at the time about how all that worked. I had to do a lot of research myself to help them feel better, because... A lot of times the symptoms we get aren't the typical symptoms the doctors are looking for, and it can make it really difficult to pinpoint issues. So um, I put her on a yeast diet, which is no sucrose, fructose, lactose, any kind of sugar for, I guess it was maybe five days. And within two days, she quit rocking. And then a few days later, we went to Chick-fil-A. We had grilled nuggets, fries, and water, no ketchup or anything. 
And within two hours, she started rocking again. So I called Chick-fil-A and I'm like, what was in the food? And it turns out there's sugar and everything on the menu. So I realized somehow that was having an impact on her behavior, but I didn't understand why. And when I asked the doctor about it, he was not helpful. So we switched doctors and the new doctor was able to discover that she had systemic yeast overgrowth, a uh, leaky gut due to, well, and the other, the immunologist was the one who discovered that both of them had undiagnosed atypical celiac disease. And so, and I did too, for that matter. By the time I was pregnant with my youngest, I was developing arthritis in different joints that would come and go. And by the time they were two and four and we got this diagnosed, I was limping around after one child who didn't understand language very well and did not understand stop and know very well and would take off with no fear. And another child who had gross motor delays and couldn't walk without falling everywhere. And then on top of that, I had arthritis in a lot of the joints of my body, probably most of them, not the back at that time. Um, and so I was in a lot of pain and they had weakened immune systems. We were learning to go gluten-free um, for celiac disease. And we were also very difficult to get diagnosed. We ended up having to use a stool test. Um, and that was really able to give us the best, um, test results. Some of that was because we have the rarer gene and it seems at least in our family to cause very unusual symptoms that are not what people typically look for in the more common gene. And then on top of that, all three of us are autistic. So we definitely experience things a little bit differently. But that started us kind of on a long journey of going through foods, eliminating foods that we're reacting to. Because when your immune system's functioning at 50%, your body starts developing allergies. And if you don't address it, it will develop even more. And so at one point, I think each of us had about 20 foods that we were working off of that were our safe foods. And it took forever to figure out. Um... Partly because one of the foods that was really problematic was corn. And corn's in everything, and they don't have to label it as a top 8 allergen. In the year 2000, they started making polyester with corn. And to this day, my son cannot wear polyester made from 2000 forward. If I can find fabric from before 2000, he can wear that because they were making it with petroleum. Um... And corn's in everything. Uh, corn, citric acid is made from corn, not oranges or lemons. Uh, and they spray citric acid in bagged produce and in meat packaging that is not vacuum sealed. So you're getting a dose of corn right all over your food. So there were so many things to figure out with that. We got rid of a lot of polyester in our house, six walk-in closets worth of polyester uh, we had to get rid of a lot of our kitchen stuff because it was all contaminated with gluten. As a parent, it was extremely difficult because I was cooking every single meal from scratch. At one point, my daughter had lost all meats, but she couldn't go vegetarian or vegan because of the other foods she had lost. So 
we had hunters bringing us venison because that was something that she could have, but we didn't hunt. So we had hunters who donated us venison and I'd have them bring it to the house. And I got on YouTube and figured out how to process venison meat because taking it somewhere where they processed it, they would have to follow certain regulations um, with cleaning and sprays that were problematic for her. Um, did a lot of going to farms, local fish markets, uh, procuring food that had not been processed and sprayed down with corn. It was a very difficult process. Uh, also, all shoes are made of polyester and most socks are made of polyester. At one point, we were the crazy family walking around town uh, wearing completely 100% homemade clothes down to our underwear with wooden shoes on our feet. It was, or homemade moccasins. The wooden shoes were for when it rained. So we looked absolutely crazy. And uh, we had face masks that we had to wear because a lot of scents are made from corn as well. And it was a very um, difficult time for me. The kids seemed relatively happy. I tried to make a point of always making sure that they felt comfortable being themselves and um, tried to give them as much freedom as possible because of the restrictions we had with their immune systems. Um, the real game changer came when it was in 2016. At the beginning of 2016, I noticed that I was getting symptoms of low calcium after a stressful um, episode. And so I read a book. It was called Childhood Disrupted. We're going to talk about that more in the next episode. That is next. <laughs> it's an important book for any parent who has gone through a pandemic. And what do you know? All of us have now been through a pandemic. So that will be the next episode. Um, but briefly, I read that book. And it talked about how when we go into fight or flight, we tend to dump calcium and electrolytes and hormones and minerals and those kinds of things. And then it recommended several things to help your body learn to get out of fight or flight. And there were several recommendations. Uh, one of the recommendations was yoga. And I knew I could get a yoga teacher to come to my house because I had been homebound that past year because the corn allergy had gotten so bad. And so I started doing yoga once a week with a private teacher with some like 10, 20 minute homework that I did relatively regularly. And within five months, I wasn't homebound anymore. And making that change myself helped my children's immune systems. As I became less stressed, my immune system calmed down. And as I became less stressed, my children became less stressed and their immune systems calmed down. Um, and I also learned, it influenced my parenting because I learned just how important it was to support children's mental health and to not add stress and to learn to listen to our bodies, our physical bodies and what they're trying to tell us. What our mental bodies are doing at the moment. Is your mind running kind of crazy because it's stressed out. And also listening to that deepest part of yourself, your soul or spirit, you know, whatever you want to call that part of you that's not your mind and not your body. Um, 
listening to who that is and honoring who that is. Because there's only one person in this world like you. And that's something special. Something worth honoring and protecting. And so those kinds of lessons really changed my trajectory in how we dealt with things as the kids got bigger. Because what happens in your body or in your mind plays out in your body. And there's another book that's similar to Childhood Disrupted called, I think it's called, well, there's two of them. There's The Body Keeps Score and uh, Your Body Speaks Your Mind. So that that was pretty much our huge takeaway. I mean, it's it was astounding the kinds of things we did just to be able to survive when the allergies were so bad because your body can become your worst enemy if you don't take care of it and love it. We started raising ducks for eggs because my son was allergic to chicken eggs. We raised chickens, uh, specifically meat chickens. And this city girl learned how to butcher chickens for dinner. Um, not really my favorite activity in the world, but I learned to do it. My kids participated when they were small. And we had this little house on the prairie lifestyle in the middle of a subdivision. <laughs> there are so many strange things that we did at that time because our bodies had just become allergic to the world. And a lot of it was that I wasn't listening to what I needed. I was trying to mask and pretend to be like everybody else and live up to whatever expectations I saw around me. And I was trying to be the person I felt like people wanted me to do, be and not. But then at the same time, I wanted to be myself too. And I, I felt in a lot of ways like I had two me's inside of me and that they were literally ripping me apart. And it had an impact on my children because our children can pick up on our stressors and hormones. And... Um, that, that was really important to me, and it's actually one of the things that has kept me going and working on this process ever since. Um, I often tell people, you know, everybody, every parent has some kind of stress or baggage or something that they bring with them into adulthood. It's one of the things that makes parenting so hard. We get so used to having all of our own issues and then we add children and taking care of them and we're still trying to sort out our own stuff and I always tell people that every step my parents took was one less step I had to take and having understood that when I was a child watching my mom especially deal with some things she needed to deal with um, that's what led me into psychology in the first place. And it's also what made me realize that it's worth doing the work to help yourself grow as a person and to heal old wounds and become a healthier you. Because every step you take in that direction is one less step your children are going to have to take. And I can think of nothing more motivating than that. And... 
that's huge. There isn't anything else you can do that's more important. School is not as important as that. Uh, your physical health is not nearly as important. I mean, it, it is important because your physical health ties into your mental health directly. But if you're taking care of your physical body, but you're not taking care of your mental health, you're still going to get sick. <laughs> it's going to happen. And, you know, learning will happen when we're healthier people. It happens naturally. But we have to have the, the wiring inside the body and the mental health and the physical health to support that kind of growth. And that's where we have to start. I, I think that was probably the biggest lessons that we've learned. Um, it's definitely hard on your relationships. I, it can, raising children is hard on marriages anyways because there's extra stressors. Um, and anything that you had going on that was a challenge beforehand is probably going to be amplified because it's, it's a lot. Um, but I, I think the thing I realized the most was that my mental health impacted the entire family. It impacted my children's physical well-being and also taught them, they learned from watching me how to deal with life. And I wanted them to learn how to deal with it in a really positive way that was going to contribute to their physical health. And it also impacted my marriage and my husband because my whole focus became trying to avoid the consequences of not learning to address my stuff. And when I learned to address my own mental health, appreciate myself for who I was, and to do what worked for me without trying to live up to outside expectations, I became less of a I became less of a problem for my family in some ways. I was hurting them unintentionally because I was not dealing with my stuff. So we all have stuff to deal with. And how you come through challenges in life has a lot to do with how willing you are to deal with your stuff. And honestly, I think that's really the most important idea I can leave you with. The idea that when you take care of your stuff, whatever steps you take to do that, those are steps your children aren't going to have to take. And most parents would walk through fire for their children. So if you're willing to do that, shouldn't you also be willing to fight the smaller battles? The ones that not everybody sees. Join me next time. We're going to be talking about childhood disrupted, the impact of stress on children's physical and mental health, which I know we all could use some work on after having a worldwide pandemic. We hope you had fun listening to today's episode and gained some new insights into the wonderful variety of people in our world. You can find out more about Amy's advocacy work at amybodkin.com. And remember, special needs kids are people too.